Hey, before we get started, did you know that you can get continuing education for this podcast? Just head over to academy.flightcrit.com to find out more information. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Sean Eaton here. Welcome to this episode of the Flight Crit Podcast, your place for pre-hospital emergency and critical care transport education. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined by our special guest, Mr. Joe Lewis, better known as the Respiratory Coach. So we invite you to kick back and hold on as Joe schools us on the principles of dynamic and static compliance, driving pressures, and then goes off the deep end discussing optimizing PEEP and tidal volume in our mechanically ventilated patients. So with that, let's get into the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, We are back with our next broadcast. Super stoked to be here with everybody today. And for those of you who are tuning in on Facebook and YouTube and over at the website, Welcome to today's broadcast. Back again with my co-host Hunter, and we got a special guest for you today, Mr. The Respiratory Coach. What's up, buddy? <laughs> How you guys doing? <laughs> good, man. Good. I'm Very doing. Good. I'm doing great, and I sure hope the people that are tuning in are gonna uh, are gonna enjoy this one. I think we're gonna have a good time today, right? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you guys reaching out and just uh, saying, "Hey, will you join me?" Because you know, one of the things I love and promote is collaboration, you know, amongst disciplines. And so um, ecstatic to be here today and, and excited to see what we can talk about. Yeah, for sure. I know I know. Uh, Hunter and I have been chatting about this for, you know, several weeks now. We've been super excited to have you have you on. And we just feel so privileged that you decided to come on and, and do this with us. So thank you very much. Um, yeah. Real quick, before we get into this, for those of you who are out there in social media land, if you want to leave a comment in the comment section, um, on whatever platform you happen to be on, it will show up and I can actually display that on the screen. So if you've got a question for the respiratory coach, you can share that here. We'll be able to see it and uh, we'll get those questions answered. And then at the end of this, uh, end of the broadcast, stick around. We're going to give you that QR code again to get your free one hour of, uh, CE. Um, that will be up for about a day, maybe a little bit longer because it takes us some time to process the video and get it over into the course. Um, but, uh, that will be there available for you as well for the next 24 to 48 hours. So with that, I'm going to turn it over. Hunter, you want to take it away, buddy? Yeah, we're excited uh, to have the restaurant coach, guys. Um, I uh, found uh, Joe. I've, oh, I'm always trying to master that vent, like many of us are. And uh, I found his videos on YouTube. Um, and they're just, they're just great. They've helped me out a lot. They've helped me with my teaching. And they've helped me understand that device. So... So excited for you to be here. Thank you so much for coming to chat with us. And I think uh, ventilator uh, talks are something we can do every week, I feel like, because it's always something everyone can touch up on. So uh, today we are talking about um, dynamic and static uh, compliance. And then we're going to get into um, peak therapy a little bit and uh, kind of um, where's a good place to be at with our peep. Um, I think this will definitely be helpful as we get into the ARDS season this fall and moving forward. So excited to have you. Yeah. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, Sean. Again, I appreciate you guys having me on here. <clears throat> I will, I will just, if I will just take just a few seconds here, just to say that I, 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 from a lot of people know me by respiratory coach, but I do have a name and that name is Joe Lewis. I am a registered respiratory therapist. <laughs> I've been in the field of respiratory therapy for 21 years now. I spent the first 10 years um, at primarily working in trauma ICU, uh, adult emergency department, you know, care. 
And and then I left trauma ICU to go work with COPD patients, which really was beneficial for me as I rejuvenated myself. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things y'all probably didn't even want to talk about this, but you know, no, absolutely. I, I want to hear um, about it. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, you know, it's it's um, you know, one of the things that we battle in healthcare a lot of times is complacency and and burnout. And I was in trauma ICU for a long time, and I loved every second of it. I loved seeing the patients walk back in after they were broken, and we fixed them. They walk back in and say thank you to people they don't even remember. Let's this. Focus on that. They don't even remember who we are, but they're so thankful for us. And but I did experience the complacency that a lot of healthcare workers experience. And I intentionally went to my leadership and said, you know what? I want to get out of trauma. I want to go work medicine. I want to go work the med search side. I want to go work more with the chronic COPDers. And I'm going to tell you, that was the best decision I ever made. Not because of any disdain for trauma or, or emergency medicine or anything like that. Not at all. I still love that aspect of the game, but it rejuvenated my love for humanity. It rejuvenated my desire to want to really reach and touch people who are in vulnerable states. And, and it's no coincidence that I'm wearing my humanity shirt today, because I think that's something that's important is that if you ever find yourself dealing with burnout and complacency, if you can make a shift in, I think, the discipline you're working in, you might find yourself back on fire. So I just wanted to throw that out there for whatever it's worth to anybody who's watching that might be in the same boat that I was in during those times. So, um, again, I appreciate you guys, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You know what? I bet that there's probably a lot of people out here that, that can really relate to what you just said, especially given – you know, the last three, four years, just people are yeah. tired. People are people. I mean, people leaving healthcare in, in droves, right? It's, it's terrible. You know, what has happened to our community. So I appreciate you taking the time to say that. And I hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah thank you very much. So, um, so kind of moving into compliance, you know, kind of be like, I, so if we start with dynamic and static, um, my my understanding of dynamic, I've always heard like dynamic compliance is like airway resistance, but I feel like we don't really like dive into it as much and how they relate. So can you kind of like walk us through kind of how, A, how we figure out our dynamic compliance and uh, kind of where, you know, we might find higher versus lower dynamic compliance? Yeah. So let's just talk about, let's just start with compliance first. And when we talk about compliance, of course, we're talking about volume change over pressure change. And okay. so that's the first place you have to start. That's what compliance is. When you think about compliance, think about a, a regular size balloon versus one of those really small balloons and think about how much effort it takes to blow up a regular balloon versus mm -hmm. how much effort it takes to blow up one of those really small balloons where you feel like you're going to stroke trying to get it open. Right. That's that's a good demonstration of compliance. Very stiff lungs. They don't want to open. Um, healthy, compliant lungs, they're, they're, they're nice and compliant. And they're like, hey, put air in me and I'll expand. And so that's okay. what we're talking about when we talk about compliance. But you are so right when you talk about the difference between dynamic and static compliance. Um, there's, a, there's a big 
you know, difference when it comes to those two. So um, let's just start here and talk about uh, dynamics. I'm just going to put this up here. This is dynamic compliance. I don't need to write the word compliance because we all know we're talking about compliance. Okay, so dynamic. We're talking about a formula. The formula is title volume delivered divided by peak inspiratory pressure minus our starting point. Well, why did you say starting point, but you wrote PEEP? Because you have to recognize that PEEP becomes a starting point. You're not starting at zero. You're starting at five or eight or 10 or whatever your PEEP setting is. And so this is the formula for dynamic compliance. Now, let me show you something here that will give you a graphical illustration of what would represent dynamic compliance and what maybe would cause it to decrease, okay? When we're talking about specifically about the difference between dynamic and static compliance. So if I draw a pressure waveform, so this is pressure. If we start here at an elevated pressure, remember this is gonna be peak, right? This is our peak level here. We're gonna come up, we're gonna come down and hold. This is a normal pressure waveform. Our PIP, is represented by the peak inspiratory pressure, the pressure at the very top of that pressure waveform. That's the highest pressure that was reached. That's why they called it peak inspiratory pressure, okay? Now, when you do an inspiratory hold, you will stop the flow of gas. And then what you're assessing now is plateau pressure. So you will see where your pressures will slightly drop because there's no longer gas flow moving through airways. Those airways cause and are a part of the pressure changes that happen. So when you do that inspiratory hold and you see that, 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 that plateau that is formed, you see that normally there will be a very small difference between the two. Now remember, this is normal, okay? So what I wanna show you is, is that when you're working with a patient, and your peak inspiratory pressures are very, very high. Okay, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a key point here. You're gonna see your pressures go way up here. You come down. You do an inspiratory hold, and look at the difference that happens here. Remember, okay. this is PIP. This is plat. So what we see here is is that the difference has gotten much greater. Now, the question is, is understanding why this is happening. And you have to recognize that there's two things. When you're in volume control ventilation, where you are giving a, a set delivered tidal volume, your pressure is going to vary, and it's going to vary based off of two and only two things, airway resistance and lung compliance, alveolar compliance. That's it. Those are the two variables in the game of volume control that will cause pressure to go up, okay? So when you see this and you see your PIP way up here, very high, and your plateau drop way down below, what you know is that this PIP is being caused by an increase in airway resistance. The difference between PIP and plat is airway resistance. So is it safe? Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. No, no, no. Go ahead. So is it safe to say when we have a greater difference in our plateau and PIP, you know, if we're not even getting into if they're both elevated, but if we see an elevation in PIP, whereas a plat would be normal, less than 30, 
then we can almost assume we have an airway resistance issue and we have a dynamic compliance issue. Yes, 100%. Because what this tells us is that we have an increased airway resistance. So what patient comes to mind when you see this is your asthmatic. Yeah, sure. Okay, now that's obviously not the only case, but it's the one that we're going to talk about here. So your asthmatic patient would present with something like this. And here's the kicker. You're worried about that peak inspiratory pressure going up to 42. What you have to recognize is that that pressure is all absorbed in the airways. You're not tearing up the alveoli. It's the airways that are very, very small that is creating all this turbulent flow that is causing this pip to go very high. But when you stop the flow, you see where the alveolar compliance settles in nice and low. So you don't have an alveolar problem. You're not going to, your only challenge with this patient is getting air in and getting air out. Once you get the air in, the alveoli will do their job because they're not affected. They're, they're nice and healthy, evident by our plateau pressure being low initially where it was normally, right? The PIP is the result of the airway resistance. And so I think that's key to pick up on because sometimes we see high peak inspiratory pressures and we start thinking to ourselves, oh my gosh, patient's going into, you know, ARDS or the patient's going into this. And we just think high pressures equal pneumothorax, equal ARDS, equal, you know, something else. It's not always that. So the, the message here is, is that when you have high peak inspiratory pressures, it is so important to evaluate your plateau pressures because that will tell you if you're dealing with an airway resistance problem or an alveolar problem. Now, let me give you something else, something maybe here more, more other than asthma, something that may be more relevant to, um, you know, a transport, critical care transport, right? And that would be uh, somebody, a patient who is is super maybe alert and biting on the endotracheal tube. Sure. Now that's going to also cause, if you think about it, if you take an endotracheal tube and you bite on it, then that's going to cause uh, an increase in airway resistance. Right. And so, you know, we recognize where that might be the problem. I'm not saying that every time you see a difference between PIP and PLAT, it means that your patient has asthma. I'm just saying that it indicates an increase in airway resistance. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, and I recognize that and I've, I've tried to kind of think about that too, right? It's not just the, it's not just the, the bronchioles. It, it could be the ET tube. It could be Correct. the ventilator tubing, you know. I mean, we work in a small aircraft. Do I have my foot on the tubing? You know, yes. it could be anything, yes. anything yes. kind of prior to the alveoli all the way back to the machine. Correct. 100%. That, that's so on point there is just recognizing that, you know, I'm using an example right now of asthma, but it doesn't, it is not exclusive to asthma. Maybe it's a patient with excessive secretions, excessive secretions in the airways will cause increased airway resistance. Um, Of course, bronchospasm, of course, diseases such as emphysema, where you have distal airway early collapse early upon expiration that will cause increased airway resistance. So this is where the critical skills really come in, in being able to identify, hey, what does this tell me? High PIP, 
normal or low plat, big difference between them. And I'll give you this nugget right here. If it's ever greater than 10, then you're looking at an excessive airway resistance that is not just the natural airway resistance that will come from putting in and in the tracheal tube. Okay. So 10 is the normal, correct, with an artificial. So you're saying if that number overflow is ever greater than 10, then we know we have more of a resistance issue? Correct. You're dealing with a significant airway airway resistance issue. Assuming that, are you assuming that uh, like you've placed an appropriately sized DT tube, like under normal, normal physiologic conditions with the patient who's intubated, you would not expect to see anything more than uh, a difference of of 10. Correct. So normal airway resistance is very, very small, typically like less than two or three. But when you put an artificial airway in, the normalcy changes. You know, when we, when we're dealing with sick patients, we can't operate off of normals from, from you know, every, they're sick. They're not normal. They're not normal, you know, cardiopulmonary situations. So when you put an tracheal tube in, that's going to change the area resistance some just by the placement of the tracheal tube. But if it's ever greater than 10, when you do that airway resistance calculation, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but if the difference here is ever greater than 10, then you pretty much are going to be greater than 10 when you do the airway resistance calculation. And that is something extra other than just the addition of the endotracheal tube. So if I'm hearing you, Joe, so if we're, if we have a patient and our PIPs are high now, some transport systems, we don't have the ability to look at pressure waveforms. So if our PIPs are high and we're doing everything to try and decrease resistance, if we think we're dealing with a resistance problem, we're giving sedation, we're suctioning, we're giving bronchodilators, whatever it might be, our PIPs remain high clue you to look at your plats. If those are normal, go back to resistance. Now, what happens if my plats are coming up? Now, what if my plats are above 30? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm just going to move this up this way and we'll just talk about static now. Okay. So static compliance, the formula for it is tidal volume, the change of volume over plateau minus P. Okay. That's the formula. Now how this looks on a graph is going to be something like this. If you remember, we start here, we come up, this is normal, right? This is what normal would look like. But if we go way up here and see something like that, then what you see here is, look what our pips have done. Our pips have increased. But look also at our plateau. It has also increased. So the question now is, is why is our pip high? Our PIP in this situation is elevated because our lung compliance, our alveolar compliance, say it one more different way, the integrity of our alveoli have now been impaired and that is elevated. That's why our PIP is higher. So what's so the, it all comes down to understanding why is my PIP high? Is it airway resistance or is it alveolar compliance? And Plateau tells you what it is. If this is elevated, then it's alveolar compliance. You're going to see a plateau pressure that is very, very high. That's why your pips are high. This would support a pneumothorax. Sure. Okay. This would support ARDS. This would support pneumonia, something like that. This would support pulmonary edema if you, if you were to intubate a, a congestive heart failure patient. 
right? Because of all that fluid of the infection of the stiffness of the lungs or of the collapsing of one lung, then your compliance, alveolar compliance, the integrity of those alveoli are now severely compromised. So plateau pressure rises, which pushes your your peak pressure up. But look at the difference. That's the key. The difference is very, very small. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but our, our plateaus are never greater than our pips. Then there's a, there's the, the reason. So we're saying, you know, if your pips are just elevated, you cannot decipher based on that number alone. If you have an airway resistance versus a alveolar issue, AKA like ARDS or something like that. So your plats are driving your pip to go up or am I hearing that wrong? No, you're hearing that exactly right. Now I will tell you, there is some research out there that says that during spontaneous respirations, it is possible for plateau to be higher than PIP. Okay. Um, th- that does exist. But in the, in the sound basis of the theory of what we're talking about, it did it, 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 just, just think about it. How can the highest think about a mountain, think about yeah. a mountain and, 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 and be honest with you. I have, I have a, I really have a problem with this, some of this research because I'm yeah. like, wait, you just blew, like you just blew everybody's yeah. minds. I guess they've been doing transports. Cause they're like, wait, wait, did he say the plateau can be higher? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. Some of this research is really weird. Um, and, and crazy. And I, I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it because I haven't, I haven't really dived into it enough to really be able to figure out how they come up with this. But in my mind, I think about a mountain and I think about the peak of that mountain, right? So I think about I think about a mountain like this. The peak is here, and then a plateau is here. I don't know how you have a peak here and then have a plateau here and say that this is the plateau, but this is the peak. Like the, it seems like this would become the peak also. So it blows my mind. But yes, let's just go back to the the fundament, the, the the foundational thoughts of pip and plateau. You can't have a plateau greater than a pip. Sure. It, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> if, if alveoli become stiff, then your plateau will rise and so will your pip. Okay. So it brings us back to this. Now, if you look at this image here, you see that it is very different than this image here. I know this is a mess. Good gosh. Let me clean this up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, so, while you're doing that, I want to ask you a quick question, right? Because you just said something that kind of kind of made me start thinking i've always thought about your plateau pressure being isolated alveolar compliance but you threw in the concept there of a pneumo which tells me well what if you've got other conditions that would increase that intrathoracic pressure would that also affect the your plateau pressure yeah so so let's let's just talk about a pneumo for a second, okay? I'm gonna come up here. I'm gonna draw something completely different. Let's just say we have this, right? Now this is this is two healthy lungs that are happening, right? And we're putting in a tidal volume of let's just say 400, okay? That 400 is going here, and a 400 is going here, which means you're probably getting about 200 to both sides. Now when you have a pneumothorax, you have something like this, right? This lung is collapsed and you're still putting in 400, where's that 400 going? All here. Because right. it can't expand this because of all of the air in the pleural space here. So that's why you see it. 
it, it makes sense. It's like, wait a second. Now, now why are our peaks and our plats so high? Well, it's because you're putting 400 in one lung. Right. Sure. So what else would cause this, right? Like what else extra pulmonary, um, intra-abdominal bleeding, ascites. If you think about this process right here and you think about lungs like this, and this is something I harp on my students about. I say, you know, you think you're just lung experts, but you got to be experts on the heart. You got to understand the gastric content. You got to understand much more than just lungs because everything affects us. We have our diaphragms and what sits below here, the stomach. So if we have ascites present, you, you, you respond to a patient who's, who's at, whose abdomen is distended and hard as a rock. Where's all that pressure going? up against the diaphragm. So now push 400 mLs into that patient and watch how terrible your plateau pressures are because there's no place for the diaphragm to go down and for them to expand because they're surrounded by a fixed thorax. And now all this pressure underneath that doesn't allow for alveolar expansion. Right. So you're going to see your plateau pressures be high there also. So I say pneumo, I say ARDS, you know, pneumonia, pulmonary fibrosis, but then take it a step further and get extra pulmonary and talk about ascites or abdominal bleeding from a trauma patient, right? Yeah. That buildup in pressure is going to affect your alveolar compliance. But here's the kicker. The waveform in your numbers will look like this. It will not look like that because it's not an airway resistance issue if you have fluid from the abdominal compartment pushing up on the diaphragm, not allowing the pulmonary units to expand. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking uh, our, our OB patients too, right? You know, pregnant women, they, they decrease the tidal yeah. volume, increase the respiratory rate to maintain that minute ventilation. Probably the same situation. <laughs> 100%. Exactly. Another another relevant situation that, that ties into this. Why does the risk rate increase? Because their, their compliance decreases, which means their tidal volume goes down, which means they have to increase their rate to sustain a minute ventilation for adequate CO2 removal. So uh, all of that is very relevant. 100%. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Fun stuff. Good stuff. So jumping back to the pressures, then how, how can you decipher... So there's just some patients that obviously are going to have both dynamic and static compliance issues. Let's say, let's say, how would an asthma patient look that also has a pneumonia brewing? Yeah. So if you, if you go back to your normal, just, so just think about it, your normals, right? So these are your normals you've got, and every, and you know, I tell this to my students a lot. I say, if you want to understand abnormal, you have to first understand normal. So if this is normal and you recognize a very small difference here, and then you take an asthmatic with a pneumonia, then what you're going to see is a very high peak and spray pressure, a high gap difference. And this right here supports the increase in airway resistance during the bronchospasm or being caused by the bronchospasm. But look at plateau. It went up also. So that plateau is going up because of the pneumonia. You st 
this is where it gets very difficult. It gets hard, like this de- deciphering, you know, well, what what element is at play here? And yes, sometimes there there are, are, are co elements present, and so we see where this is greater than ten, and we have an elevated plateau. Then now we know we have an airway resistance problem that we need to treat. Those are treatable, right? And we have a compliance issue that we need to seek ways to reverse. So this person would need antibiotics to treat the pneumonia and a lot of bronchodilators to reduce the airway resistance. We maybe can get this down first before we get the plateau pressure down. Sure. So we're looking at, 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 at two different issues and we got to figure out a way to treat both of them. So now if we have an elevation in both our uh, plateau pressures and pips, let's say our pip is 45 and our plateau is 40. So we have an increase in both, but the number is very close. Now for less than 10, I'm going to assume that that resistance is going to be coming more from the plateau side, which is more of an alveolar. 100%. If you have a pip, so let's just do numbers now. If you have pip equals 45 and you have a plat that equals 40, the difference here is five. This is definitely an alveolar compliance problem, not so much an airway resistance problem. Actually, not an airway resistance problem. This is an alveolar compliance problem. If you put other numbers on here and you say 45 and 25, well, now we see the difference is 20. Now this screams airway resistance. Right. And that's, again, for for everyone to read. So our resistance, again, is our pit minus our plat divided by flows in liters per second is that correct or no you're 100 correct so let me let me let me show you how cool this is okay because you're 100 correct hunter on that formula but i, I just want to give everybody this illustration here real quick yeah go ahead i'm going to go back here and i'm going to bring this back down i'm going to go back to where we started because we started with dynamic compliance okay look at the formula here okay tidal volume you know what i'm gonna do it a different way oh forget it let's just do it like this dynamic <laughs> equals tidal volume over PIP minus P. Static, if you remember the formula, it was tidal volume divided by plateau minus P. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm a, I'm a freaking respiratory therapy nerd. And this, this gets me so excited. So I uh, thank you for giving me the platform to do this. Look at these two <laughs> formulas. Look at these formulas. I'm going to draw a line here just so you can separate them. You got two formulas here, but they're exactly the same except for two elements, PIP and PLAT. Sure. What's the airway resistance formula? Airway resistance equals PIP minus PLAT. PIP minus PLAT overflow in liters per second. What I just, what this says is the difference. The only difference between these two is airway resistance, PIP minus PLAT. And so when you look at it and you draw that, that's what we're saying, PIP minus PLAT. 
equals airway resistance. And that gets me excited. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, nice. that's, that's very helpful. I think it's, I think, you know, when, when you look at PIP and if you look at PIP by itself, like you said, we, we can't decipher dynamic versus static. Uh, but when you look at the numbers, elevated PIP with a normal plateau, it's like, okay, we're getting there. But when you start looking at them together, I think that's where, like you said, yeah. it gets a little bit, you know, into, it does, it gets into the airway resistance formula and kind of deciphering, is this something yeah. where we need more bronchodilators and I need to suction the crap out of this guy more? Or is this the antibiotics in, in a week, this guy will get better kind of thing. And I, I think yeah. that's, that image is, is super helpful. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I can even kind of talk just a little bit more about this on what I'm seeing in practice in the hospital settings is that we used to we used to document dynamic compliance, static compliance and airway resistance. There was a there was a well, of course, we were writing in paper, but we were we were documenting all three of those. And then somebody said, well, wait a second. Hold on just a second. If your static compliance is decreased then your dynamic compliance is going to be decreased, right? Right. And so it turned into this conversation to where they said, the only two things you need to document is static compliance and airway resistance. There's no need to be documenting dynamic compliance if you understand that static compliance tells you about alveolar integrity and if that's normal, then what is your airway resistance? Yeah. And if that's abnormal, then we need to be treating that. So we're seeing this shift where dynamic compliance is not even always even documented in some facilities. Because so if you're saying if our static compliance is elevated and we have an airway resistance greater than 10, then I'm starting to worry about my dynamic compliance on the resistance side. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So- okay. So it just goes back to that concept that if static is decreased, then you already know dynamic is going to be decreased. So that dynamic being decreased doesn't help you at all. The only thing that helps you now is what is your airway resistance? Oh, it's normal? Then you just have an alveolar integrity problem. Oh, but wait, my airway resistance is increased on top of a decreased static compliance. Then now I have an airway resistance problem. Basically, what they've done is they've separated it. They've, they've just said static compliance tells us alveolar integrity. Airway resistance tells us airway resistance. And that's a good thing. Yeah. No, I, I think the equations are, are helpful. You know, like we started when you talk about change in volume over change in pressure is the concept of compliance. And it helps because I think on the transport side or whether in the ICU and you're putting these small, small tidal volumes in these patients and you're still getting these high pressures if you think about that equation and say, hey, how do I lower, this is a yeah. airway dynamic problem. If I can get that lower number lower, then maybe I get this higher number and the equation will come out with a better number, aka better compliance. I think it's super helpful. Again, it's it's the why. And if you can, yeah. you know, think equations and I agree completely, it's awesome. And I think Hunter also, uh, and Sean, I think for, for you in critical care transport, I think it's something to also know when you see high pips with normal plateaus and you know you're dealing with an airway resistance problem, you know, let's, 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 if there's expiratory wheezing and you know it's bronchospasm, right? 
So what can I do other than just provide a bronchodilator? What else could I do? One of the options you can do is, is you can slow the flow down. Because if you slow the flow down, then that air goes in slower. It's moving through those constricted airways, you know, at a slower rate. And that will reduce the turbulent flow and reduce the pip and ultimately reduce your airway resistance. Mm-hmm. Now, the only problem with that is, is we really, let's just really blow our minds here, right? If we <laughs> slow flow down during a bronchospasm, we have to understand that we can't slow it down so much that we now have air trapping and auto peep happening because if we slow inspiratory phase down, then we shorten expiratory phase. You you still want to give these patients, if you're dealing with an asthmatic, you want them to have ample time to be able to exhale because those constricted uh, uh, airways are going to be impairing gas during exhalation. And they're going to be at a high risk for air trapping which is what we call auto peep. And so it becomes a balancing act. And this is what we talk about. We talk about mechanical ventilation. This is why, this is why we somehow today brought together a paramedic an RN and an RT all together on one podcast to talk about mechanical ventilation, because it is so imperative and affects everything we're doing in all of our practices, you know, because mechanical ventilation is an art. And it's meant to be drawn on a canvas for each patient. I love that. So as far as, I just have a question then about, I guess about the flow rates. If we're dealing with an obstructive patient that has high dynamic pressures, and let's just talk about they have an airway resistance issue, I could give them bronchodilators, magnesium, whatever I need to do, and then also decrease the flow knowing that I'm increasing my eye time, which is going to give me less E time. But as those babies start to open back up, I can go back on my eye time, check up that flow again, and hope that I have enough or less resistance where I'm getting that flow back in and then allowing for expiration. Correct. 100%. Okay. okay. Yeah, 100%. You're, you, you just, what do you just take? You just take over and teach the rest of the class. <laughs> <laughs> you're exactly right, though, Hunter. Your, your comprehension of that is right on point. Okay. I like to reiterate it and uh, it makes, it yeah. makes total sense when you, when you do that. And I, again, yeah. I think the equations are, are super helpful. Um, I don't, Sean, if you have anything else on pressures, I think we can dive into Pete. No, no, no. I think that that was awesome. Kind of really illustrating, you know, the concepts between, you know, dynamic and static and, and, you know, basically, I mean, I know that there's more to it, but I always equate, you know, pips is airway resistance plateaus is pulmonary, you know, or, or uh, parenchymal, you know, di- damage. Um, and those, the dynamic and static compliance pressures from a theoretical perspective is what kind of gives credence or kind of supports that concept that pips and plats represent, you know, different disease processes. So now that was super helpful. What was also extremely helpful to me was your waveforms, you know, because even if we're not seeing them on our machine, if we can, if we see them on the board and now we go transport that person and we go, wait a minute, I got a high pip and a low plat. I remember right. what this waveform looks like. Right. That tells me that I've got, you know, airway resistance, right? And 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 how those two move, you know, um, together. You know, does the pip go up and the plat come up? Does the pip go up and the plat stay low? 
or you know is that spread still narrow but it's high you know and, and allowing right. me to kind of really start thinking about where is our where is my problem that i have to address or do i have a problem both in the in the parenchyma and in the airway i think that that was super helpful yeah. um, and we're yeah. going to definitely have to do some screenshots here and throw this up so people can who are listening to this on the podcast have a place to go actually see these pictures definitely definitely helpful. Well, let me do let me do one more thing for you here before we go into Pete. I'm just gonna go up here. I'm just gonna find me a wider. I'm just gonna put all these together for you, okay? So if you're looking at normal and normal looks like this, and then you see this, and then you see this, or you see that, this is the three combined. This is normal. This is increased airway resistance. This is decreased alveolar compliance so this is going to be more like a pneumothorax ARDS what we say pneumonia pulmonary fibrosis something affecting the alveoli this is going to be more of asthma COPD um, biting in the tracheal tube excessive secretions so the key is here so all three of them together, I think, helps also to illustrate that concept. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Definitely. Cool. So yeah. uh, as, as we, we talked about, you know, um, you know, before we kind of started previously, right, our machine will give us our, our C-static. Um, and so one of the things that Hunter was trying to illustrate to me is how we take that and then figure out how do we optimize our PEEP, right? How do we know if our PEEP is optimized or if we have too much PEEP? So when you're talking about PEEP, you're really talking about, you got to recognize that there's going to be times where you have alveoli that are collapsed. You're going to have alveoli that are open. When you apply PEEP, you're going to open these alveoli even further. So this would be atelectatic alveoli here normal or a minimal PEEP, and then more PEEP. So the first thing is understanding how does PEEP help. And what we understand is as PEEP increases, we see where we have more surface area. And we also get decreasing thickness of this alveolar capillary membrane. And the thinner that capillary membrane is, the more gas can move in and out of it. Okay, so that's the first thing with PEEP. Now, when you're trying to find optimal PEEP, it's difficult because nobody's really good. When you look at the research on it, there's, there's not a one really excellent way that everybody goes, that's the best way. No, no, nobody says that. What we know about PEEP and when we talk about optimal PEEP is that we define optimal PEEP as the best, the PEEP level that creates the best static compliance resulting in the best oxygenation values for our patient with a minimal amount of cardiac impairment. Okay. So where do we see the best static compliance? Where do we see the best PF ratio? And where do we see the minimal amount of effect on blood pressure and cardiac output? That's, that's what optimal PEEP is. Yeah. Okay. Now, so obviously that brings in a few concepts, monitoring PF ratio. Now I'm going to throw something out here to you because you guys are in critical care transport and, and I don't know what access you have to a blood gas. So 
you know, I don't know if you have one or you don't, but there's also a, a parallel to the PF ratio, which is the SF ratio, right? Which SPO2 divided by the FIO2, right? It aligns very closely with the PF ratio. So, you know, you know, you got, you know, what we have to understand here is, is that this alveoli right here, it's not going to want to open. So it's going to take more pressure to get this alveoli open where this alveoli is already at the point of ready to be open and ready to receive volume. So let's go back to that small balloon. It takes a whole lot of pressure to get it open. That's this guy. It's like, I don't want to open. I don't want to, I don't want to be open. But once you get it open, you can expand it easily. Right. So the idea with PEEP is, is how do we find the point where we're open and ready to receive volume? That's, that's the goal with optimal PEEP. Okay. So lots of strategies involved with optimal PEEP. Uh, of course, static, best static compliance, you know, for, for, for you guys in, 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 in critical care transport, if you're looking at your plateau pressures and you got a PEEP of five because that's what everybody has and you see a static compliance that you're like eh, i don't know about this and you're like you know what our, our our saturations are falling and you're like hey what if we increase peep and you increase peep and your compliance gets better and so does your oxygenation then guess what you just optimized peep now maybe you're not at optimal peep yet but at the very least you just improved it because your compliance got better, your plateau pressures may have have slightly gone down and your oxygenation went up. That sounds like a win-win, right? And that's because you've put the alveoli in a state to where they're going, oh, we like it right here. We're ready to take the volume you're going to be giving us. So I have, I've got a question then kind of just to help illustrate this in my mind. Say, we're, say you've got a patient who's uh, you know, on no peep. Two, three, God, hope, hopefully not, right? They're intubated. Yeah. And you check your C-static. You could see that number very high. Correct. And then as you increase, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm trying to think like would the number be higher, would it be number low? But whatever number you're seeing, it's representing stiff alveoli. They're out of lactatic. Correct. You now introduce some more peep, five, six, eight, ten, whatever. They've kind of reached that point where they're inflated just beyond that, you know, like when you blow up a balloon, right, where it's really hard and then it gets really easy. So that now they've gotten to that point where they are uh, slightly expanded. They are ready to receive more volume. That number improves, whether it goes up or down. Now you see I had poor compliance. Now I have really good compliance. And then if you kept adding more PEEP, now you reach a point where now the compliance gets poor again. Correct. Because now you've overextended the alveoli. Got it. So that's 100% correct. I'll show you something that I, you probably don't have this capabilities on your, on your transport vents, but we call it the pressure volume loop. So right. I'm just going to draw it like this. And what this is, is this is volume, okay, um, over, over pressure, okay? And so... What you see here is, is that when the breath starts, volume is going in, but look, the alveoli don't want to open. 
right? They're, they're, they're resistant to opening. And then right about here, they say, okay, we'll open. And then look what happens. A lot of volume with very little pressure difference. This is what you're looking for. For your target optimal peak area is when we can just say, hey, why don't we just start at this point? Let's say this point is eight. Let's just start at eight and you'll see it look like this. You see where you don't have this flatness here? Yeah. So this is what we call the pressure volume loop. And, and it's so helpful and so under underutilized, unfortunately. But this is the element where we can at least have an idea of where is optimal peak. Now, let's say that this was not eight, but let's say it was 18. And let's say we went to 18, like, hey, we're going to go to optimal peak because I've identified it as 18. And you put that patient on 18 and their, their map, their, their, their mean arterial pressure decreases from 90 to 50. Well, guess what? That's probably not optimal peak. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we know that's too much. Yeah. And so we've got these tools. There's a really cool technology that is very close to making its way into um, the United States and that's electrical impedance tomography. And I think there might actually already be one that's approved by the FDA. But what this is, is basically allows us to put a band around the chest of our patients. We send electrical signals from a bunch of different electrodes and it will map out alveolar openness. Huh. Wow. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's literally going to be a game changer when we get it, when we get the research to support it, and when we get it in, in, in facilities, we're going to be able to not just guess. Because, I mean, let's just be honest. This is a lot of guesswork. I, I think 18 is correct, but maybe if it affects mean arterial pressure, it's not. So I don't know. When you look at EIT, electrical impedance tomography, it's going to give us, think about it like an iceberg. You got an iceberg like this, right? And the ocean is here. This iceberg extends below that ocean a long ways. And we don't ever see this. This is what we don't see. All we see is this. This is plateau. This is PF ratio. This is static compliance. This is what we see. Electrical impedance tomography lets us see this which is absolutely amazing. That is very cool. Yeah. Um, so, Joe, is there a, um, when we talk about static compliance, then is the normal is above 50? Is there a number that we're looking for to try and increase our PEEP to get to a certain number? And also, is there a number to expect in the ARDS patients? Like, I think, you know, is 50 just you and me versus someone with a pneumonia or ARDS is, you know, you shoot for more 30. I mean, how, how do we gauge that? Yeah. So 30 to 60 is your is your normal range for static compliance. What you're really looking for is a lower number. Um, when you do that math and you're using milliliters to to calculate it, then you're going to get something, you know, milliliters per change of simmers of water pressure. 30 to 60 is what you're shooting for. That's normal. That's well. Let me say. Let me rephrase that. That's normal in the impaired patient. Okay. So you start getting into like like 
a, a completely normal, healthy person, it's much lower than that. You know, more like, you know, way lower. And so I'm sorry, way higher. I'm sorry. You want it to be higher. The higher, the better. I didn't mean to go there. Um, no, that's You want that higher, right? So you want it more like, you know, it, the, the normal person is going to be more like 100. Um, okay. And then it also refers to when you're looking at, for anybody watching this and listening, when you're looking for in your own Google and you're like normal static compliance because you're trying to learn this stuff, right? Recognize that some people refer to it in MLs for centimeters of water pressure. And some people refer to it in liters of centimeters of water pressure. So if you see like one liter per centimeter of water pressure, that's a different story because you're like, well, I thought it was 30 to 60. Well, we're talking ML for centimeters of water pressure because I think that's where most people, most people go with it is used to more of the ML side of things. Okay. Okay. Well, no, that's good to know. So kind of shooting for that 30 to 60 in our ARDS patient. That and trying to increase our peep. So if we, like Sean was saying, if, if we're on 10 a peep and we go 10 to 14 and my static compliance, if you can check that or you can see that, goes from 30 to 25, not optimal peep? Well, I mean, there's a lot of other things that come into play, but obviously if your plateau pressure goes down, then you're at least at better peep. Okay. 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 I mean, optimal. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like you're, you're trying to define optimal in one change. Well, we probably need to have a chip better change because what if it went down? If what if you what did you say you went from ten to fifteen? Yeah, if we go up on our peep and then our static compliance decreases from that change, there's there's more to that than just our change in peep. Okay increases you've extended peep too far if it increases which i think what you just did the same thing i did a minute ago is you got to flip if, if your static compliance increases let's say you go from a peep of 10 to a peep of 15 and your static compliance gets better what you know is that oh this peep helped and we're more compliant now now let's say you went from 10 to 15 here's what we never do we never think about the idea of maybe 16.5 is yep. optimal. See what I'm saying? So what if you would have gone up to 16 or 16.5? But I think for you, if you just see an improvement, then you're getting in the right ballpark of okay. where you need to be to produce good outcomes for your patients. You know, let me let me show you something here. Yeah. It's, it's this conversation. Can I take this to the next level? Yeah, please do. Okay. When you're talking segue about optimal, to the next one. Yeah, yeah. If you're taking if you're talking about optimal peep, you have to recognize that first of all, the peep versus plateau versus tidal volume, we can have this conversation all day. But the truth is, is that it's a perfect blend of both of them. Okay? And this brings driving pressure into the conversation. Okay? So I've got some illustrations here I want to show you. I'm going to make them large for you so you can see them here, okay? So this first one here illustrates at the end of expiration, this is where we are holding the lungs open to. Now, recognize all this area right here. This area with our peep is not open. Okay? So this area is atelectatic. So we're just holding open about what looks like to be about 50% of the lungs. So when we give a tidal volume 
even if that tidal volume is appropriate at six to eight mLs per kilogram, look what happens. Because these alveoli were never open, all we do is overstretch right. yep. the open alveoli. Does that make sense? And so what we see here is that our difference from end of expiration PEEP to peak inspiratory pressure created a delta P, a driving pressure of 20 centimeters of water pressure. That's a large difference. We don't want that. We want our driving pressure to be somewhere less than 12 or 13 centimeters of water pressure. And when we talk about driving pressure, all we're doing is looking at plateau and subtracting peak. This is where do we start to where we finish. And we want that less than 12 to 13 centimeters of water pressure. Okay. Now we can look at this next one here. Look at what's happening here. We're holding here. We still got basically the same thing we saw up here, right? This look identical. These two look identical. But this time when we give a breath, Look what happens. We get a little bit more aeration throughout the lungs, but we still end up hyperinflating healthy alveoli. We have a delta P of 15 centimeters of water pressure. So PEEP is still not right in conjunction with tidal volume and plateau pressure. We're still not at a safe place. When we see here that we open the alveoli and hold them open at a good place and then deliver an appropriate tidal volume on top of that. We see a value that gives us a, a driving pressure, a delta P of 10 centimeters of water pressure. This would be like, let's say we're holding at 10 and our plateau is 20. That would be a driving pressure of 10. Now, Take it one step further. Let's say we're holding our peak here at, let's just say 15, but look, we're already overextending the alveoli. You see these little, these little spikes here say, hey, we're not happy already. And when these spikes happen, this is when we get cytokine release and inflammatory mediator release. And this is when ARDS begins because we're, we're inducing lung injury because we're holding open excessively. So of course, when you put a tidal volume on top of that, what's gonna happen? It's just gonna overstretch even more. Right. So you see where your, peak, your plateau pressures are now 35 and we have a driving pressure of 20. So I show you all of this to illustrate this right here. When you put it all together, peak can be too low, and still cause damage. Peak can be just right with the right tidal volume. That's what we're looking for. Peak can be too high with an appropriate tidal volume and we're going to cause damage. And that's what driving pressure comes down to. And driving pressure is probably, I think, one of the hottest topics right now in uh, pulmonary research. I, of course, I don't have any data to back that up, but I'm just saying like it's a lot of articles right now coming out on monitoring driving pressure. Because what have we done for so long? We have said PEEPA 5, tidal volume 6 mLs per kilogram. That's what we've said for a long time now. That's what we've been doing. And what we're finding is, is that 
that you, you may really blow there your mind. Go. Check this out. <laughs> okay. Set, let's go back to static compliance. Okay. Static. So e stat equals what? Title volume over. Plastic. I was going to say, I feel like I recognize that equation Minus somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right? So we just did that just a little bit ago, right? Here's our equation we're working with now. Static compliance equals tidal volume over plateau minus P. What was the driving pressure formula? Do you remember? Plateau minus P. Yeah. Plateau minus P. So can we just say this? C stat equals tidal volume over driving driving pressure. pressure. Right. Right? Now watch this. Move this formula around. Multiply both sides by driving pressure. Driving pressure here will cancel out and we'll do driving pressure over here. Right? That's where we are. Then we divide both sides by static compliance and we cancel out these out and we get what we get is tidal volume over C stat equals driving pressure. Check this out. If we know that driving pressure is the number that impacts, if that if that's the number that impacts outcomes, then all we have to do is know what driving pressure we are looking for. But what this tells us is, is that driving pressure is the perfect compliant, the perfect combination of tidal volume in conjunction with static right. compliance. Right? And if we go back one step, we recognize that we can do this. Wow. This right here is the formula that tells us what tidal volume we should be using wow. based yeah, off of compliance and driving pressure. That's awesome. That is super helpful. I mean, that's, that's craziness, but I think it illustrates the intricacies and the relationships between all of these things we've been talking about. Peep, plateau, tidal volume. It's not this one goes here, this one goes here, this one goes here. You have to recognize that it is the perfect blend of all of them together. And that's what all of these, <laughs> however way you want to flip it, flip it however you want to. It's all saying the same thing. Wow. Better outcomes well, for our patients. That's the new way we'll be looking at title bond. Yeah. I will be checking C static on all my and, patients. And just, just <laughs> though, with this, driving pressure seems to only be studied in ARD, correct? We're not quite, or is it using, are we everywhere now? Or. Well, I think what you're seeing here is, is yes, there's, there's, a lot of research in driving pressure going into ARDS. But what happened to the ARGENET protocol? The ARGENET protocol came out, came out and it said, take care of your ARDS patients right. like this. And then what do we end up doing? Saying, well, well, hell, if it's good for our ARDS patient, okay. then this is probably good for all of our patients, right? So we've adopted this lower tidal volume, higher rate strategy from the ARGENET protocol okay. to take gotcha. care of dang near everybody. Yeah. And so basically what you see is ARDS is basically the driving factor for mechanical ventilation progression from what I'm seeing right now. 
because it started off with the Arsenet protocol. Everybody's tidal volumes have gone down. I mean, I was in the game when it was 10 to 12 mLs per kilogram for tidal volume. Right. It would be nothing. I mean, I put on here a minute ago, tidal volume of 400. When I first started, if you'd have said a tidal volume of 400, you'd have been ran out of the ICU because they were like, <laughs> who, who are you trying to ventilate, a mouse? Because we were using 10 to 12 mLs per kilogram. So everything was basically about 750 to 1100, maybe 1200 mLs, which is crazy these days. And so we saw where ArtsNet has basically driven all of mechanical ventilation forward. And now ArtsNet and ARDS is heavily focused on driving pressure. But guess what? It will become the focus on most of all of our patients. And I think it's the future. I think we're going to find at least at some point a shift to where tidal volume and research supports this, where tidal volume is driven based off of a desired driving pressure. You're like, well, what does that mean? That means the patient's going to have a tidal volume of 370? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And if it improves outcomes, then I'm all for it. Right. Right. So <laughs> anyway, that's what I got for you guys. Man. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that was awesome yeah and just like like i was having a hard time keeping up with hunter a couple weeks ago you know that yeah. was like that was definitely a lot for for me to you know, chew on and i'm going to be you know replaying this and going through that a, a lot for the next you know a few shifts just really kind of cement yeah you know it you don't get it at one time around but definitely sure. made yeah that was sense, uh, so oh awesome very stuff. very helpful i, I think uh yeah that evolution of that title volume is wow. That would just be an interesting concept to to try out and see how it works. And you know, you're so right though. I mean, the ArsNet protocol is kind of the new way now. So I, I agree. I mean, everyone's driving pressure is the new cool thing. And you know, I, I feel like when I was hearing about it a little while ago, some people were like, "Well, we only use that in ARDS," but now I get what you're saying. I mean, it could definitely be the uh, the new way, which is sweet. So. Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, like just for anybody who's watching and for anybody who hears that it's just for ours, I can tell you right now that driving pressure has been okay. heavily researched during surgeries. Yeah. It's it's not it's it's not it, it, it did originate from the Arginet protocol because what they did is they went back and looked at 5000 over the last you know decade and a half of people. They said, what well, how many what what's the result of the works of this Arginet protocol? And what they came up with was was like, wait a second, it's, it had nothing to do with PEEP. It had nothing to do with plateau. Mortality became linear when they looked at the driving pressure amongst all people. That was the that was the 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 launch pad for driving pressure. When it was like, wait a second, it's not plat by itself. It's not peak by itself. It's the difference between the two being driving pressure. That's the one that had equalized mortality. That's the factor we need to be watching. And since then. Various studies have, 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 you know, dived into, well, what about driving pressure during anesthesia and during, you know, abdominal surgeries and blah, blah, blah. So there's, you, you want, you want to, you want to learn about driving pressure. Just, just go to Google Scholar and Google it and you'll, you'll find a ton of articles that <laughs> right. take you outside the realm of ARDS. Yes, there will be a lot that are inside the realm of ARDS, but there's 
still countless that are outside the realm of ARDS. And that's how you know when it's knocking on the door mainstream. Nice. Is when it's not, they're just not just concerned about ARDS. Because what we know is that mechanical ventilation practices are a causative factor related to ARDS. So why, why wouldn't you, if you're looking at all these strategies to say, oh, during ARDS, we want to do this and this and this to protect the lung. Well, hey, novel concept here. <laughs> why don't we do that before we get to ARDS? Right. That's crazy, Doc. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, just throwing it out there. Like, maybe we just try to prevent. What if we could eradicate or eradicate? Uh, uh, what am I trying right. to say? Um, get rid of ARDS, right? Yeah. Right. Because we're so focused on protecting them early rather than after ARDS sets in. So there's a lot of cool things to talk about there. A lot of, a lot of factors that come in, but I think that's definitely where we're going. Yeah. Nice. I mean, you know, you talk about game changers, you know, and and I'm sure you've seen this, you know, where, where you are, but even the concept of low tidal volume ventilation has made itself made its way into EMS where lots of programs are starting to use pediatric BBMs. Right for, mm-hmm. for ventilating their adults, they're still using the peep valve so they can get adequate, you know, peep. Yep. yep. But they're, you know, they're they're minimizing. You know, they're not giving them eight hundred, you know, thousand mLs. You know, um, yeah. Even from the, you know, even in the beginning. So yeah, it's definitely kind of changed the way we we approach uh, yeah, airway management in general. I love that idea. I love the I love that whole concept because you're right. If you give me, if you give one of my students right now a bag. That's one liter. I mean, most bags are about one liter. They're going to squeeze it until it's all gone because right. that's, well, that's what the, that's what they learn to do. And, and we got to get better on the educational side of that also. But again, how do you control? Like how much is 500? How much is 700? When you have a pediatric bag, I'm not in pediatric, so I don't know what pediatric bags volumes are, but I'd assume they're probably at least half of an adult. And mm-hmm. so at least at that point, you're at least controlling the maximum volume. So squeeze it all the way, squeeze the bag. <laughs> you're still only given 500 mLs, which is adequate for most patients. Yeah. Awesome. I don't know about where you are, but we don't, we don't see a whole lot of, you know, Yao Ming's and Shaquille O'Neal's out here in, in, in our area. Um, but that's, that's what you're talking about. When yeah. you start talking about tidal volumes more than 500, you're starting to get into a really tall male population. And so you got the Denver, we, Nug- Denver Nuggets there out there in Colorado. I'm not for sure. I have a drink. They wouldn't fit in our helicopter anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, go by ground. Yeah. So anyways. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Guys, any, no, that was awesome, man. That was, you have anything that was sweet. That was fun. That was uh, all super good. And uh, just, yeah, I think, um, Anyone that's listening on the podcast too, definitely uh, you're gonna have to come over and watch the video. I think the visuals are huge; they're super helpful. And uh, no, that was all really good. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, um, what I like to do, what I like to do, maybe in the future, is um, give you another peep demonstration. But I'd like to get a maybe a different setting, maybe a table or something for me where I can utilize. Uh, I've got a set of pig lungs that I can really show the difference in different peep levels and it really makes it come to life for a lot of people. And so um, maybe we can do that, set that up for maybe a follow-up to this segment. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I I know that I've had the, the, the privilege of, of getting to participate in, you know, several, 
uh, you know, Lung Labs um, and yeah. seeing, you know, what does it really mean to recruit yeah. alveoli when you increase that PEEP? Um, yeah. Tremendous demonstration. So, uh, and I don't know how many people have had a chance to do that, but, you know, the few that I've shared it with uh, definitely have kind of um, been impressed by that. Um, Richard, you know, watching uh, online says, yes, please, to, to that demo. So, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely yeah. we'll definitely set that up. That would be uh, awesome. Um, yeah. No, nothing. Cool. That was fun. That was, that was awesome. Else, you, no, I appreciate it. That was good. Joe, where can, can people I? find you if they if they want to come and find more of your stuff? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at that. <laughs> Imagine. So um, I'm on all the social medias. You can find me at Instagram at Respiratory Coach. TikTok is not on here, but TikTok is hopping right now at Respiratory Coach. My YouTube channel is at Respiratory Coach. Twitter at Coach RRT. And then, of course, if you ever have any questions about anything, you know, pulmonary related, respiratory therapy related, you can always send me an email to respiratorycoach at gmail.com. And then just so you know, if you're interested, your audience is interested, I am growing a texting platform community where I just, I don't know, once or twice a week send out informational, educational, inspirational, motivational, sometimes funny content. Uh, you can join that texting platform at 817-968-7035. The first response will be automated, but then after that, it's all me. And so um, if you want to connect further, you you can find me anywhere. And, and I'm here to connect. And I think that's what one of the most amazing things about this day and and this moment is just seeing the the expansion of the boundaries that are, are interlinking multidisciplinary collaboration, and I love it. Yep. Uh, I think we need more of it. I think it's the future of healthcare. Definitely, and and I can't wait to do some more things with you guys. Awesome, for sure. Yeah, we'll absolutely have you back, and and I, I suspect that you'll we'll be chatting a lot more off offline. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Joe. Thank you very much. That was awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Hey, I leave all of my talks the same way, and that's simply this. Whether you're a respiratory therapist, a nurse, a paramedic, I don't care what you are. Remember, average is easy. Don't be it. And that's all I got. <laughs>